0: You're listening to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm your host, Jarrett Smith. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm Jarrett Smith. Each episode, it's my job to engage with some of the brightest minds in higher education and the broader world of marketing to bring you actionable insights you can use to level up your school's marketing and enrollment efforts. This podcast is the second installment in our VP Summer Series, which is a mini-series focusing on the unique challenges facing senior enrollment and marketing leaders. In this episode, we'll be discussing the critical task of building strong relationships with your trustees. Joining us in the conversation is Karen Faust, former EVP of Enrollment at Hendricks College, and Joel Bauman, Senior VP for Enrollment Management at Duquesne University. Also joining us is Echo Delta's own Laura Martin-Fetich, who's my co-host for the series. We cover a ton of interesting territory in this episode, including important ways board members can differ in their approach to their role, tips for helping board members understand the complexities of your work, why trying to be the smartest person in the room can backfire when you're meeting with board members, the right way to go about delivering not-so-good news, and how to respectfully nudge a board member back into their lane when they start to overreach. Karen and Joel shared a wealth of hard-fought wisdom on this topic that I know will be relevant to anyone who has to interact with board members on a regular basis. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Karen Faust and Joel Ballen. Karen, Joel, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting us.
1: Thank you, Jared. It's a real honor.
0: Laura and I are so excited to have you here. Really looking forward to this conversation on building great relationships with your trustees. Before we jump into that, I would love it if we could just take a moment to tell us a little bit about your professional background and work in higher ed. And Karen, why don't we start with you?
2: Well, most recently, I was the executive vice president for enrollment at Hendricks College, um, and retired from there a few years back. Uh, prior to that, I was at Valparaiso University in Indiana and. Uh, from a good portion of that time. I was there over 20 years, but I was the director of admission for a number of years and then a host of other positions. Um, during, uh, especially my years at uh, later at Valpo and then at Hendrix, I did do some enrollment consulting with different people and continue that and I've even done an interim position uh, in the last two years and so have enjoyed working with other colleagues at their schools and providing um, assistance that way. Yeah.
1: Um, You know, it's uh, scary to say, but almost 30 years um, in this business, um, starting out as an admissions counselor at the University of Tampa, um, and then having some experience in uh, admissions and financial aid, some international uh, admissions and recruitment experience at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Um, Worked my way uh, through the ranks um, at a couple of different places in Florida, uh, and I'm uh, now um, a, a place in Salt Lake City, uh, and now at uh, a senior vice president for enrollment management at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh.
0: Good deal, Laura and I are here to talk with you today about building strong relationships with your trustees. I think a good place to start with that would just be to, to talk for a moment about why that's so important. Uh, Lauren, I've discussed in the past, this isn't something they hand you and the the VP of enrollment management manual that I know comes with the job. Um, but it, it is an important sort of part for the success. So can you talk to us just a little bit about the, I guess, the importance of getting those relationships right. And maybe the pain of getting it wrong. And Joel, I'll I'll tee that one up to you first.
1: I appreciate it. You know, um, i think you you learn uh and just in general you've heard and in, in general you re, you realize it's a board of directors and it, the trustees is a it, it, in itself a word uh that strikes importance right they they are entrusted with the university um they think uh sometimes people think they're the owners but they're there to advise they're there to have fiduciary responsibilities um they're there to carry out the functions um, of the bylaws and the constitution. And and it's the, it's the organizing principle around uh, in which the university uh, functions and meets and meets its mission. Uh, And, and uh, you know, they hand off that responsibility and and really entrust you, the the cabinet, the president and the officers of the university uh, to carry out the business of the university, Um, not just in meetings, but in networking and in people raising and in, Uh, fundraising, the trustees are pretty, uh, are obviously central. And so uh, as uh, staff and faculty interact, uh, the words uh, and the impressions um, and expressions of trustees carry a lot of weight. Um, And so uh, your ability to induce in them the proper reaction or understanding or support uh, can have influence in, uh, in every corner of the institution. Uh, and so it's a relationship that uh, bears uh, uh, strong, uh, strong, and clear, and ongoing uh, care and feeding.
2: Karen, what, what's your take? Well, on I would I would agree with everything Joel has said. I think uh, that you, when you're first at an institution, um, getting to know the trustees is always an interesting time. But it's important to do that, and um, and I found that meeting with colleagues, my colleagues on the cabinet, Getting their understanding about who's on the board and and how they interact with them it has always been helpful. But you need to have a good working relationship with them. You also, as a vice president, um, you'll know your role because you're also there to be supportive of the president. And um, so that's that's important as well as 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 well as your colleagues um, that are there with you. But all in all, it's uh, it's a very critical role that that we um, work with.
1: You know, I would add a couple of institutions I was at were state public institutions. Um, most of the careers is in, in private uh, enrollment driven nonprofit institutions. Um, and while similar, um, there are different differences in the approach. There are nuances that a, a public state run institution, uh, trustee or board of directors has that follow uh, legislative mandates that follow um, you know, uh, certain rules uh, when I was in Florida, the sunshine rules. And so what you can say and what you can take notes um, uh, and what was uh, required to be reported on had differences. And so there are some, I I think it's really important that Karen said is you have to take the time to learn about their, their backgrounds and their instructions and their not just interests, but requirements of them as board members, as you try to align uh, your work uh, and your presentations and your support of the president and the cabinet um, in each of these settings, and so it's really important to do the homework up front um, and read as much of the enabling legislation, the bylaws, the catalogs, whatever it takes that uh, inform the trustees about what their roles and responsibilities are, so you can align at least um, with those basic uh, facts.
2: And it's even as simple as just before you even begin really getting to know what what their names are and where they're from. And just so you have some familiarity with them and they'll remember that, that you knew their name and uh, those kinds of things. So that's important
0: as well. Laura, I think you were going to tee up a question.
3: Yeah. Thanks, Jared. I'm just really curious because this can be an intimidating group, but the first time I was ever in front of a board of trustees, I was extremely intimidated because they tend to be, very accomplished people. And um, they're sort of all staring at me, looking at me (laughs) as the expert. And I'm thinking, holy moly, I am nothing compared to you people. But uh, so how do you how do you go about forming the relationship? I I hear what you're both saying about doing the research, learning about them. Um, I think that's really important. Uh, Are there other ways, especially with a group that maybe you're not going to interact with, but a few times a year?
1: I completely agree with you, Laura. First experience in front of a board um, intimidating as all get out, especially if you read uh, their backgrounds um, uh, um, and what they've done for the institution. Um, uh, I do, I, you know, I do think there are those, um, and you have to have the right group, and you have to understand just uh, basic human uh, dynamics and relationships. So some are coming in, uh, and regardless of background. And qualifications, and um, uh, you know how successful they are. They're there because they want to help, um, and they recognize their role as mentors. They recognize their role as advisors, um, and those uh, will come up, and they will identify themselves. And if, if they've uh, got experience on the board, um, uh, it's a it's a real treasure. Uh, there are others who are there to interrogate you uh, and the university and the officers. Um, because in their background and experience they've come up through the fiduciary ranks through the oversight ranks so i think it's important to understand um, different trustees come at it with a different mindset um and if and if you get one of the interrogator uh trustee types um uh, if you don't if you yeah it, it's it's learning by experience uh you know the, the early experiences of being interrogated um you know it's kind of like a senate a hearing like you see on tv right like you're sitting there and they're at the table and they got the microphones and they're asking these questions and really uh what you want to say is like i i i don't know i like I. Uh, but um uh, you do have to come prepare do your homework understand that there's going to be almost a script of questions that they're going to ask um, because it's very rare that they want off the cuff on the record uh just stream of consciousness uh in a formal meeting and so um Talk to the president, talk to your cabinet colleagues. Um, I've realized that really before going to a meeting and having to experience that uh, uh, and not know, uh, meet with the board chair ahead of time, meet with key members of the committee you're on ahead of time and get a sense of them, uh, from them, what their interests are, where they're, what they know already and what kind of questions they're coming in with uh, to the meeting. Sometimes by casual conversation, you could answer those. And so it won't come up in the meeting. Um, But at least you have a sense to to prepare. Um, My favorite experience of getting to to know, uh, you you know, good, good retreats. If there's a trustee retreat, uh, as opposed to a meeting, um, those are always helpful on the personal side, like Karen was saying, names, families, interests, uh, casual conversation, Um, the dinners and or lunches, also a great opportunity to just sort of really let your hair down. You don't have to be as guarded as maybe during the meeting. Um, be careful about where certain things could go and, and you have to always have this sort of uh, uh, social awareness. Um, but I, I remember my one of my favorite experiences was um, at a trustee retreat uh, dinner meeting in Park City, Utah. Uh, it was one of the, it was actually a sushi restaurant that um, we all decided to pick out of three. And I ended up sitting between um, a member, uh, uh, a trustee that had been highly placed at HP during their uh, big transitions, um, and somebody was uh, um, directly responsible for the marketing uh, shift at Godiva Chocolates about putting stores, uh, putting them in retail stores all over Manhattan and all over the country. And to hear those two converse, uh, and then to ask me my opinion about it, and then to like try to relate it to what we're doing at the university was absolutely. It, I felt like it was a mini MBA class. Uh, really, mini strategy class, with Harvard Business Review that you read about, and actually, I think the divide thing was uh, uh, in one of those books. So I think it's uh, just trying to become socially aware and uh, ask the right questions and be interested in their backgrounds.
2: I would add um, the over the years we've always had executive committee meetings prior to the full board meeting. And those were all usually by conference call and the cabinet was gathered in one room and obviously the uh, trustees who served on the executive committee were in their home basis. But that was a good way to really understand what some of their questions were gonna be coming up then in the full board meeting. That was sort of a preview of what was gonna happen in that full board meeting. And so to take good notes and, and make sure you mark down what kinds of things you you yourself will need to respond to. I always found that to be good prep uh, for any and all meetings.
3: So Karen, you're talking about pre, pre-board weekend or pre-board meeting, right. all, the, all the trustees are getting, oh, well, for lack of a better term, or maybe this is the right term, kind of a board book with all right. the reports ahead yes. of time and if anything's going to be voted on. Mm-hmm. And so there really shouldn't be I mean, is it true or fair to say there really shouldn't be any surprises at a board meeting? If you're doing your job, okay.
2: Right. There really shouldn't be. And part of that is the working relationship the president has with a board chair, um, because they don't want things to pop up. Um, But nonetheless, it's a good good way to practice um, before the board meeting
0: to have those executive meetings. And now for a short break. Hey, everyone, Jarrett here. You know, the past year has brought so many challenges for the higher education enrollment community, and if you're like many enrollment leaders, you're looking forward to being on the other side of census so you can finally step back and think about your strategy for the upcoming year. That's why Jeff Calais and I will be hosting Post Up, a free four-part webinar series for enrollment leaders starting September 29th. From search to yield to campus visits, Jeff and I will engage with Echo Delta's enrollment experts to help you come back even stronger and smarter than before. Visit echodelta.co slash postup to register. That's echodelta.co slash postup, all one word. I hope you'll join us. And now back to the show. I'm curious about some other ways that that you all have worked with boards. I, I mean, I think one of the challenges in the group is in working with trustees is is that you're coming at it from a very nuanced sort of enrollment management perspective. And it's its own little world. It's a very deep body of knowledge. It's complex. There's a lot to consider there. And even if that trustee member is incredibly accomplished in their own domain, it is unlikely to be enrollment management. So I'm curious, sort of your best tips for how do you... Uh sort of convey the the nuances the important points of your job and your approach to enrollment management without overwhelming them without boring them with with sort of unhelpful details or kind of losing the plot
2: well you know it's it's important for us to remember we're always educators um, and not that we're there to lecture the the trustees, that's not the point. But the point is you're right, they don't have the background that we do. And so we have to find ways to share that. Um, Sometimes that was through a board report by um, providing some sort of professional article that would be helpful for them to read and understand more about what's going on in, in the enrollment area. Other times it was to provide trends in enrollment at other schools on how those compared to your own school. And just a variety of ways you bring in. Um, occasionally bring in somebody from the outside that can help validate some of the information because they will listen to that person a lot of times more than they, they might even you, but nonetheless, um, somebody that really can say, yes, Joel knows exactly what he's talking about when he says this, that, or the other. And that's not the sole purpose of having them come, but nonetheless um, it does, it does help. Joel, would you add anything to that?
1: Yeah, um I have had the uh experience of uh in my youthful exuberance, uh, you know, it's the Enron thing about trying to be the smartest guy in the room, because you know, that's what they're paying you for to know your business and that. Um re- re- really not not a good idea. Um, because these folks are really smart. Um and while they may not know your business, they they want to be able to offer advice. They want to ask really good questions. Um and they want you to walk. They want to you to walk through your thinking, not present. You know, uh, not necessarily be a wonk. It, absolutely, Karen's right. They need, you need to know, show mastery of your uh, of your business. Um, but my experience over the years is really allow time for their conversation to each other um, to sometimes um, break up a meeting to what's called like, hey, just the operational report, quote unquote. What you need to see to Uh, satisfy your fiduciary responsibilities or, you know, scrap, you know, um, that interest, but really let's talk strategy, Uh, you know, ask the, ask the hard questions. Um, What, you know, so at some point with uh, particularly enrollment committee and sometimes the full board, um, we would have the statistics meeting, the reporting fiduciary meeting, snapshot meeting in between the official meeting. Uh, And then, and then we start to record them because they were on you know, uh, through Zoom and that and that was a, a, a huge uh, uh, bonus for those trustees that you'd be surprised. Like I couldn't make the meeting, but I looked at the recording, thank you for doing that. So I could feel uh, caught up. We uh, bringing in experts, uh, you know, consultants um, and or vendors that you work with, but to give more uh, weight to, you know, the state of the art um, out there. Uh, I've also invited trustees to do a life in the day. Uh, well, actually, why don't you come in and, um, you know, sit in the admissions office or let's review an admissions file. Um, and then one of the, the more interesting uh, eye-opening experiences, uh, especially for those that didn't have recent college age uh, kids, we we collected samples for, for competing competition purposes of financial aid awards, uh, admissions packets and financial aid award packets um, of competing schools and just laid them out for them um, and walked them through what they look like and what a family experiences uh, and then show show them our own. Um, and you know that was that was really an eye-opening experience for them because it wasn't theoretical. It wasn't just, uh, we're a good, great school. Why aren't they just picking us? Um, but they saw the reality um, on the ground of what individual families were doing. So you know, um, they, they do they can't hang with you. everything from strategic planning um at the highest level, of the institution, and fiduciary responsibilities all the way down to um, having them help you if they're interested, uh, read an admissions file and, and give their opinion. So it just, uh, you know, I have found ask ask them, survey them, um, they'll give you their ideas and then, you know, some of them will do this and some of them will do that. And just like our work in relationship building, build the relationship and offer them, uh, meet them where they are, uh, as opposed to think of them all as one big um, monolithic, fiduciary trustee?
2: Something simple that I did over the years um, was when board uh, members referred a student to the institution, then that that student's name appeared on what I ended up calling a VIP list, uh, simply for the fact that then I could make sure that um, I shared that with the president and that that individual knew that board member made a recommendation and what that relationship was and how the outcome of that student you know what had moved along with that student so that was always um something critical and then occasionally then i had opportunity to give share some information with the trustee as well who would made the recommendation
3: can i go back to something you sort of alluded to but you were talking about um presenting information that to the trustees, and and they get the board book in advance, and and I'm assuming a lot of what you present to them is is data, and then you do a narrative on the data. What if the news isn't always isn't all good, and especially that we know that, that enrollment has seen some a, a tough year in 2020, and and 2021 certainly isn't a cakewalk. How do you how do you go about that? How do you present news that isn't great?
2: Well, when Jared asked the question earlier about, you know, surprises that might come up in a board meeting, that is one that you don't want to come up as a surprise. So you work with your president um, and your colleagues to make sure that the right kind of information is disseminated to the trustees on a regular basis. Uh, And that includes things that don't always have good news in them. And that way, when they actually come to the meeting, they've had a heads up. Or have some background um, about what might be going on. That you know, we thought going into May one, it looked great, and then all of a sudden, it just totally fell off. That type of thing. Um, not that you necessarily use those words, but you get the idea. Uh, that it, that that would have been disappointing news, and so they needed to be prepared up front for something like that.
1: My, my um, observation on that is, and. Uh, in- I think as enrollment management, particularly on the strategic level, at the higher levels of more complex institutions, um, it's about anticipatory uh, enrollment management. And I wish I could take credit for that term, but I think Rochelle Hernandez, uh, who's now at University of Texas, Austin, um, introduced me to that sense, which is um, much like, because uh, Florida is my more recent experience, much more like the cone of probabilities of a hurricane. It could land here or it could land there. Um, you talk about probabilities uh, and not certainties, and so anticipatory, particularly around what Karen's talking about, right? It's it's May. You know, we'll go freshman admissions enrollment deposits look like this. Um, and trustees told me when I first started uh, at one of my institutions, it's like we can't like this is great news. Um, in essence, we don't care because we know by the time we come back in October and look at the budget, it's completely different. So what you know we've learned. And I said, oh, well, let me explain what the trend is and what to anticipate. And, you know, and if the news is not good, uh, because there are leading indicators, I think they always get frustrated with lagging indicators, right? So I think you need to um, start to produce leading indicators and say, this is showing us uh, this potential, and here's the probabilities to anticipate, and here's what could happen. Um, You know, I I try to inject some humor. Um, I got known for the, um, I've got some good news and some bad news um right so there there's that uh which would you like first um and then uh but the anticipatory side is um really important to 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 set their expectations that it could go this way or that and you have to take ownership i feel i feel like uh early on um i joke about uh, i don't know if you know uh mountain climbing there's a little chalk bag yep. always going to your chalk bag and you dip your fingers in yeah so i used to joke on there's a little toolkit that every enrollment manager has and it's like Oh, demographics. You dig around a little more, and it's like oh, competition. You or dig around more, the economy. You pick one, right? Like oh, here's the excuse, or, or, or here's what helped. Um, great team, uh, recruitment, new new programs. So there's always this toolkit, but you know it's uh, and all those could be true, um, but you always have to have ownership of the results. Um, you always have to start with. I think we could have done better because uh, you can't be you can't be afraid of uh, opening up. You know, looking under the hood. And if there's a legit uh, opportunity, you ha- you have to own it um, and you have to offer a solution. So we knew this. We observed this. We found this out. Here's what we're going to do about it. And that's part of the expertise. They don't think you're perfect. They don't think you're not going to make mistakes. Um, but if you come in and you're like. know well bonehead mistake number one was and then you're like and here's what we're going to do about it um i feel like they're as as you know or you're saying as experts and professionals in their own lives they 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 can respect that um they may not like it um but if you know what the solution might be and then come back and explain whether that adjustment worked or not i i think they accept your professionalism
0: at that point. Joel, I want to circle back to something into, you know, in the past I've heard you talk about the importance of when you're new at a school, the importance of understanding the types of reports that the board was receiving and, and the definitions they were using and, and then how sort of your reporting, which may be a little bit different kind of meshes with that. Could you set up, set that up a little bit? Cause I think you called out some some important things to be aware of about that.
1: Yeah, uh, that, uh, yeah. Thanks for thanks for reminding me. That would go under the bonehead category. <laughs> mistake number one. Uh, new to tra- new to reporting, just trustees. Um, what I have learned and what I think um, now works really well is finish out if you're new to an institution and you're taking over, um, and possibly if there's a new new trustees on the committee, this might work as well finish out in their first meeting what the historic trajectory, what the historic presentation mode, what they're used to seeing, and then leave time at the end for like, does this work for you? Literally survey them for their interests. So this last go around, I found out that they actually hated the format of being reported to each unit coming in, reporting their expert level, and then leaving, and then having 50 pages of reporting. What they want to do is ask questions. And so we surveyed them and then uh, we found out three of them want the snapshots, want the reports, need to go into every nitty gritty detail because they're also on the audit committee. So that's their role. You know, four of them are former marketing experts and they're like, let's talk ideas. Uh, And then three of them are from other areas of business um, and do want to support and advise and, and talk strategy. And so we shifted how we have the meetings again, snapshot fiduciary level uh, information with the definitions, with the new approaches, with the kinds of reports um, in between. The, the reason I learned to do it that way was one of my first meetings at the board, I just rolled in again, I'm the smartest one in the room, I'm new, I've got to point out where the data points are and have been. And I said something like, um, you, know, we, you know, we only denied 2% of, our, of the uh, applicant pool. Now, I didn't go and say, but you determine an admit rate in a different, so when I said we denied 2% of the pool, uh, the one trustee who had been on the board many, many, many years in response for reporting selectivity um, and, and, you know, FED square averages and like really hung up on those kind of fiduciary details to make sure we were reporting them correctly to U.S. News & World Report, um, you know, it was flabbergasted, like he said, well, that would mean we'd have a 98% admit rate. Well, we didn't and we didn't report that. But in the middle of the meeting, I couldn't say no because I just, I see what he said, I said 2%. And so that caused a little bit of a ruckus. Uh, To Karen's point, that was a surprise. That's not a statistic anybody wanted to hear or thought about. And so it took months, it took months to put the toothpaste (laughs) back in the tube on that one, Uh, right? Like we had to explain, well, admit rates are this, we do deny, but you count them like this. And, that, and the point was, we need a bigger, what I was trying to say is we need a bigger applicant pool. We need a bigger funnel. And that's the direction we're going in as a strategy. Uh, but I chose the wrong indicator to make mm-hmm. that point. Um, uh, and that was, that, was, that was painful. I mean, that, that undermined uh, the exact opposite effect of what I was trying to do to undermine the integrity. They thought I was um, fixing the number somehow or trying to make a case against the previous administration. And, and it just took a while to rebuild. Um, you know, I have a strong reputation of integrity and transparency in, in defining how we do these things. And that was my point, right? We're gonna define admit rate this way. We're gonna define selectivity this way. We're gonna grow it in this fashion. And I'll report it the same way here in the same way to faculty in the same way to cabinet. Um, but that was, a, that was a bitter pill to swallow um, by, giving a, by giving the wrong statistic.
2: One of the uh, ways that I found helpful was in uh, as new trustees were coming on, the cabinet had put together essentially a training manual for them and that covered our different areas of responsibility, but it also included um, a list of terminologies that we use in our profession. Um, you know, financial aid is full of lots of acronyms, you know, the FAFSA, the, you know, this, that, or the other. Um, And so to actually give them our definition of that was a helpful piece and they would have that to refer back to. So you explained what the admit rate was and how you calculated it. Uh, Some simple things like that.
0: Well, and so I actually, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, we, we started off earlier in this conversation talking about uh, when you're new, Right. And Joel, you're kind of talking about a situation, one particular pitfall that can happen when you're new at an institution. But uh, of course, you also have board members that are rolling off new ones that are rolling on periodically. And so you hopefully have the opportunity to play a role in their onboarding. And it may just be an hour when they're new, uh, when they swing by the office. But I'd be curious, kind of when you are meeting with a new trustee, kind of like what's your punch list what how do you think about that first one hour meeting where they are maybe at your office and it's it's your time uh how how do you approach that
1: you know uh it's uh, i i always start with trying to ask them what they know um you know what is what is their uh mythology about enrollment admissions financial aid, like I just, just, what do they know? Right. And, and uh, some of them are educated and some of them are, you know, from their own experience, uh, their own going through college experience uh, or their kids. And it's amazing, amazing what a mystique there is around um, our business, even to, even to trustee, to experts in the field, such a mystique. Um, And so uh, I start off with maybe telling some uh, vignettes about what our uh, admitted students are like uh, a few explanations about what it's like to go through our um, uh, financial aid and scholarshiping program. Uh, some recent graduates, just to t- just to give a flavor of the u- human side of who our students are. Um, normally, I'd start with you know kind of the marketplace dynamics, uh, introduction to you know the demographics, and then lead to the funnel, the funnel, uh, and then describe some of the internal workings. Uh, uh, of how uh, we do go about from enrollment marketing through, you know, from the application process all the way to enrollment retention and graduation, um, with a little bit of trying to influence program curricular development, don't tell the provost I said that, um, to how important it is to have the marketing in the academic, uh, particular academic program to help with enrollment. I do like a few, to Karen's point, a few of the definitions. I do like some of the AGB materials um, to hand off and then explain it's either dated or applies or doesn't apply quite exactly uh, uh, to our work. Um, I do try to give the framework of what a tremendous industry higher education really is. So I take it from the story, the narrative of the individual student to the fact that it's the seventh largest export of the United States, uh, higher education, and I think, I don't know if this is still a true uh, fact, so you'll have to fact check me somewhere along the line. I said worldwide, it's a $500 billion, maybe $700 billion industry when all, all told, including the for profits. And so all of a sudden you're like, that's a serious industry. Uh, it's not just about visiting the high schools, which we can get to in a, in a minute, right? And so I try to establish with them a sense of the complexities, the importance, uh from the individual student uh impacting their life because at at the end of the day the trustees really care about students right and about the quality education and sending them off to uh lives of significance and accomplishment uh but then also the business side side of things so um i have a series of documents and reports and uh, suggestions of books to read a selingo's book th- those sorts of things to um uh ground them if they're if they're interested
0: I came across a, uh, article this dates back to 2015, but it's in the Hetchinger report and it talks about how schools, you know, as they've sort of over the years come under more scrutiny for things, uh, like the, the rising cost of tuition, the, the value of the degrees that they confer that along with that trustees have also, there's been a trend for them to take a more hands-on sort of down in the weeds approach. Uh, compared to, to sort of years prior. I'm curious, and Karen, I I throw this one out to you. Is that something that kind of um, you've seen in your own experience? Is that is does that, does that resonate with you?
2: Well, certainly um, observed a little bit of that, but not actually a whole lot um, because of, of the uh, way that the president would interact with the with the board, uh, and he served as he or she served as the primary uh, person to make sure that they were aware of what was going on in the industry and and those kinds of things. And um, so, not I've never really been in a situation where we had a lot of interference from board members um, or wanting to really drill down. Occasionally, you'd get somebody that was overzealous, and it was a lot of times somebody that was new newer to a board, um, that they thought, well, I, I better drill down on this and it's fine to drill down, but they only really need to go so far. And so, um, but, uh, I, I've not seen a lot of that, but I, there's been a lot in, in the, in the news about it, that that has been a developing trend at, uh,
0: some schools. Joel, how does your own experience with that stack up?
1: Yeah, it's a combination of, again, the interests and backgrounds of trustees. I do, I do think it's become um much more um focused on um both ethical and um uh, fiduciary sort of uh 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 regulatory I, I do believe it's a much more a higher regulatory um much more strict regulatory environment i think it happened after the session with all the uh financial firms and financial reporting i think after the title 9 issues um and State and some other uh, institutions, I think Title IX has gotten, especially if you've got D1 athletics, there's a lot more, um, I think, uh, uh, regulatory um, requirements. So I do think that's become a lot more difficult. Again, state schools versus private nonprofits. So uh, obviously a different level of regulatory compliance required uh, in that sector. Um, but uh, And uh, very similar, same story about that one experience, Uh, Once, uh, and it's related to not only your own internal dynamics, uh, but a new story broke about a a competitor school up the road that um, either was uh, uh, misreporting its uh, application numbers and selectivity uh, or the SAT scores and excluding excluding some test scores. So that report comes out, it's in your neighborhood um, and the natural questions and uh, go ahead and, you know, the varsity blues. I I don't know any admissions or enrollment professional that once that story broke, there were trustees in their office looking through their uh, applications like, who do we know? Did you let somebody in? What about the rowers, et cetera, et cetera. So that you you get a story like that, there's heightened uh, awareness. Um, I have sat in the room with the president, the chair of the board, uh, the IR director, um, myself, uh, and the trustee who wanted to see our uh, that we reported the SAT scores correctly, and so we spent four hours, page by page, name by name, tracking what was in the system, to what was reported, and he, like, you he just needed to know that we did that. Um, and uh, you know, there's a couple of discrepancies here and there, uh, going back, what is it, three, five years. Um, but it, but it was fine. Right. Like it was actually uh, as as uh, tight as and with integrity as as you can get. Um, so we were able to prove that. But boy, that was painful. So I, I do think there's a much more difficult uh, regulatory environment these days, particularly in the state school sector. But um, any, anyone dealing with financial aid, anyone dealing with Title IX and particularly the one these days is uh, under under a microscope.
3: Wow. So IR, I just want to explain it for the audience. IR, if you're not familiar, is institutional research. That they were. That's why they were. They were in the the room with you. So there's some controlling of the narrative that you have to do in your roles. Would you Would you say that's true? And how How do you do
2: that? Well, I think you do it um, by making sure that everybody knows that that you're operating with integrity and doing the very best you can do. Um, you demonstrate to them the way Joel did that here, yes, we have three to five years worth of data here. We found a few discrepancies or you know, a few honest mistakes. Um, but on the whole, we continue to calculate our SAT scores the same way uh, every single year. And um, here's how we how we did that. And so I think you just, state the facts and show them that uh, you've been on top of it it's not to say something won't slip through occasionally but and and there are times like uh had experience with you know you have your annual audit and the auditors come in and they all of a sudden have some new accounting uh, rules that they have to follow and you're not aware of those and then they you know you get dinged a little for something, especially in the financial aid world that, that you didn't even know. It was an honest mistake, but um, they do they do give you a warning about it. So um, you learn from that and learn what needs to be done differently than for the future.
1: You know, in the, in the enrollment, in the tuition driven institutions, you really have to have your ear to the ground uh, and be reading the tea leaves uh, and understanding the dynamics um I think the the narrative um you, you have to be prepared. You have to count on colleagues in the business. You you know, I've always been lucky to have colleagues like Laurel, like Karen, uh like people in, in the consortium or uh friends that I've worked with or um over the years to be able to pick up the phone or send the email and say, I've got a trustee meeting. What you know, what's the general the you know, in different institutions. So you can't really compare, but they need they want you to. To know that at such and such school, here's what they're experiencing. At such and so, in our environment, uh, we are. And then you can explain we're unique, we're not unique, we're right in there. Um, so I think really counting on colleagues um, to be able to have uh, a- 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 and the industry material. Right? You have to you have to read Inside Higher Ed. You have to read the blogs. You have to you have to listen to podcasts. Um, uh, from from quality partners, and so to you know, so you need to understand what's in the business because they may also come across those, but you sh- you should be able to an- answer questions that come from a place that has context. So I I, n- I know what you're saying about controlling the narrative. It's that overall context, the framing. I'm a big fan of framing. Um, so whatever the the issue is or the presentation is, there's a frame around it. There's a narrative frame. Um, and context, I think that you have to set first. Um, and if it's incongruent to what they believe or they're hearing or what you've talked about before, that's when that surprise that Karen was talking about can happen, You, you know, that kind of dissonance. If you're not, if you walk into it without aware that you're about to you know, change the narrative or, or, or update the context, um, it's gonna cause some uh, eyebrow uh, furrowing.
0: Okay. So while we're talking about, I don't know, tricky topics, you know, is not, um, unheard of that a trustee might go around the president. Uh, they have a particular agenda that they're looking to push and maybe they, they come to you or they're going to other members of the cabinet. And so how do you navigate a situation like that? Uh, how do you sort of, I, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word, kind of respectfully nudge them back into their lane if that's a thing that can be done. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that.
2: Well, I think we've both had experiences that way. Um, probably the one that I've shared most frequently was uh, a very nice gentleman who thought that every time he rolled into town that he needed to make sure he came by the enrollment office uh, to find out what the numbers were and how things were going. And then he would also make phone calls in between and so on and so forth. Uh, but as it turns out, this gentleman was somebody that I talked to the president about, of course, and um, and he was a valued trustee. So, you know, you roll with some of it. But at the same time, um, you learned that there is a line in the sand that you can draw with it. And um, so, you know, we would not, I would not go into things with him that he wanted to know that really had more information about students because of FERPA. I couldn't share those things with him. So I drew that drew the line there and I had the support of the president and the board chair on that. Um, That was important for the board chair to know as well. So you occasionally will have somebody like that who um, they mean well, but sometimes they spend they take way more of your time than they really should.
1: I think I think this is a, a case of um, you really want um, and hope to be working with an experienced president, experienced board, uh, cabinet, um, so that you all can know that happens when that happens. Um, I've had some great colleagues um, on cabinet who are like, Hey, so-and-so asking about, you know, they were wondering, okay. And, and that's also really important to, same conversation there about that with the board, have with your colleagues, do a, do the walkthrough with your cabinet, make sure you're telling them what's gonna be in the report. Um, this really excellent group of colleagues I worked with once we shared our status reports, as opposed to you know the experience uh, many of us have is like, oh, that's what they're doing in that department. Cause you're at the board meeting and reading their status reports. like, oh, good. I wish I knew, knew that. Um, so you try to do that uh, ahead of time. So the pre, you know I I've, I've had presidents who thought um that was their experience that's the way they wanted to run thing where you know if a trustee had questions uh, and if they said something in the meeting or outside the meeting um you know the the board secretary and the board um uh, would take the notes and uh they would divvy up the you know if there was a question they would divvy it up between the cabinet and say get this answered funnel it through and uh we'd all see what the questions were and we'd respond and that, yeah. Had another president who worked for uh, them that said, you know, any request for staff um, cabinet come through the president's office uh, uh, because his, his contention was the work, like where we are in the strategic plan, the work is so, uh, there's such uh, uh volume of work that any request could throw us off um, the the momentum we've got. Um, so at least that was the, the frame. Um, I'm talking, so it, it can go multiple ways. Um, but, the, but you all have to, if you're an experienced group, you'll know that there's a rogue, uh, a, a rogue member out there, um, saying things and interpreting things within a, you know, possible agenda or just misinterpreting. Um, that makes it awkward for a lot of people because it is a, the meeting itself is a very, you know, sort of scripted choreographed experience, um, you know uh, and unless it's a retreat and you have a session that is the free you know free thinking um again those kind of out of the blue moments um become awkward and 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 difficult for trustees to process and for presidents to manage and and for uh, those of us in committees to
0: manage one thing that seems to be very consistent between the two of you is as you said earlier Joel like relying on your colleagues making it a team effort and really um supporting the team and and just like Um, you know, if there are issues that you are bringing up in front of the board, nobody on the cabinet should be surprised about that. And if a, if a board member is maybe, you know, uh, uh, kind of veering outside their lane a little bit or, or aggressively sort of pushing for an agenda also go back to that same core team that you have and, and problem solve it together.
2: I think there were any number of times over the years where I've had colleagues say, so-and-so ask a question about this topic in our um, committee meeting today. And that's really helpful because then I can address that question um, if it's related and obviously would have been related to my area and just to be good colleagues that way and, and know when to, uh, to share with, with your uh, colleagues what's going on in your meetings. I think that's helpful as well.
1: You know, we're all, like Karen said, educators at heart. And so uh, it's important to educate, you know, when your colleagues feel armed and well-prepared to talk about enrollment in their session, they come away, I mean, they, you know, they they walk away like, oh, I was able to answer that for that trustee, right? Like I'm of service to that trustee and I knew something about it. Um, Same thing with us in enrollment, whether we have, uh, for example, retention under our umbrella officially or unofficially, uh, right? You support and you explain where we are with particular angles you talk, if you got graduate and there's a, you you make sure you're able to support your colleague and or understand that there's something else going on and then come back and share that that information um, and so i think at the back end as much as preparation for the cabinet the debrief you know the hot wash like Karen's talking about what did you hear what what happened in your committee how did it go where's the sense of the of the board
0: well, good deal. Well, as we wrap up, uh, you both have uh, many years of great experience and some hard lessons learned along the way, and, and, uh, but also no doubt uh, uh, quite a few successes uh, due to the longevity of your careers. And, and I'd be wondering if you had any words of wisdom for folks who are, who are newer to the VP role and uh, anything you might want to share with them uh, on this topic to help them make sure they get to a, off to a good start. Karen, you wanna tee that one up for you? Sure.
2: Well, we, we've both talked um, throughout this at times about essentially the importance of networking. And so if you have developed a strong network of colleagues uh, in the enrollment profession over a period of years, and now you've moved into a VP role, you're going to know other people who have done the same. And to be able to pick up the phone and talk to them, gather their ideas on how they even have their organization structured or what kinds of reports they they have to give out, whether it's to the cabinet, to the faculty, to the board, those kinds of things. Just get some general information from them that way. And then um, certainly work with your cabinet colleagues as well so that you have a deeper understanding but I think it's important to to have those professional relationships to not hesitate to um, pick up the phone or send them an email or even a text that says hey I've got this issue going on could I spend a half hour with you uh talking about it that type of thing and um, I think you'll learn a lot that way by uh, engaging with other people. And obviously, there's some professional opportunities, but there is no training manual for this whole thing. So um, you know, it just it's it's you just have to learn and and take it um, step by step. It's not all going to come to you overnight, and it, there's nothing magical that's going to happen just because you've been named a VP. But rather, it's it's going to take a lot of work. To really get an understanding of what goes into the into the position and, and the role.
1: Yeah, I I think that um, ability to commiserate with colleagues, um, and or what they what they call that in New York, which is kvetch, um, to be able to call somebody um, and commiserate and uh, uh, toss around ideas is extremely important. I I think um, you know Laura nailed it uh, a while back when she said there is tremendous pressure. Um, regardless of funding and regardless of where you are in the pecking order of schools, um, it's just very varying degrees. Uh, so it's, uh, it, it, there was an article, uh, I think inside higher ed oil back of the chronicle, the hottest seat on campus, uh, always, always is always will be. Um, so there's just tremendous pressure. Um, you have to develop, uh, the hard skin, you have to develop, as you see with our colleagues, uh, Karen and Laura are, uh, expert at, you know, the stoic response, uh, mastering your emotions, um, mastering your your uh your business know, knowing knowing it well and knowing that you don't know and being able to, to handle that definitely um so i think if you're going into this business know that there's great pressure uh, but also know that like we see with our colleagues um no pressure no diamonds right so uh pressure produces diamonds and so i think um if you come out the other end um it's uh it's i i i just think it's one of the most underrated uh, industries higher ed is uh, out there and it's complexity and uh the ability to change people's lives and um society for the better. So um worth getting into, but it's it's it 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 can it can be a tough road uh but but worth the uh worth the journey.
0: Most definitely. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing all of the uh accumulated wisdom <laughs> that you have and uh this was a great episode with some just really fantastic information. So, th- thank you both so much. Thank you.
1: Much appreciated. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: The Higher Ed Marketing Lab is produced by Echo Delta, a full-service enrollment marketing agency for colleges and universities of all sizes. To see some of the work we've done and how we've helped schools just like yours, visit EchoDelta.co. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And as always, if you have a comment, question, suggestion, or episode idea, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at EchoDelta.co.